You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Because Chris is away, what we did last week was we answered some questions that we didn't get to in the show last week. So this week is a catch up on all those questions we missed. So make sure you tune in if you had a question last week that didn't get answered. Next week, our special helpline will be all about traveling with kids on planes. Kindling Helpline is the time when we get Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue on to the show to answer your questions. Today, she's getting to the questions we didn't get to last week. This one is from Kathy. She says, my four-year-old son only wants to eat macaroni and cheese. If I give him anything else, he won't eat it. What could I do to make him eat other food? Good luck. Um, (laughs) What I would do is he only eats macaroni and cheese because he gets macaroni and cheese. So that's one way of looking at it. The more you give it to him, the more it reinforces that he'll get it. So there's a couple of things here. You could reduce the amount of macaroni and cheese on the plate and add something in. And you can also try putting some other foods down while you're making the macaroni and cheese. And therefore he knows it's coming, but he might engage with the other food. So if it was my four-year-old, the first thing I'd do is do breakfast, lunch and dinner and take snacks away so that you know he's hungry. I think you need to be aware that they mainly eat in a social setting. So being able to sit down with him um, and engage with him also helps. And it also helps in that if you put the shared meal in the middle of the table and you will take from that bowl, then he sees everybody doing it. So he may engage with the food. If he goes to daycare and he eats anything else at daycare but only eats macaroni and cheese for you, then it's probably just a behavioural thing that's happening between you and him. So no needs to, no means needs to mean no. And the other thing you could do is just say to him, next week we're not having mac and macaroni and cheese for the whole week and actually just stick to it. And you'll probably find he will start engaging in other things that are age appropriate for him. Can I ask, I did hear, you know, yeah. Chris, that I have had a very, very fussy eater. Yes. My daughter, Kathy, who is now five and a half, was has been shocking for years. She's getting better now. But I remember someone once telling me there's a dietitian in the States who had this idea that you cook what you cook for the family. Yeah, you put it down. Right. If they don't eat it, you're right, exa- okay. You take it away. That's They're not exactly, going to starve. Yeah, that's exactly everybody. You don't point put the pressure view. on them. Yeah, we don't put pressure on them, and we don't. We're not a short order cook. So the reason he eats macaroni and cheese is because it keeps getting put down because it's probably the safety food, and you could be tired or all these things. But that's actually, you know, absolutely true. So when you look at say children of um, say chefs. They don't often have fussy eaters because they just engage in the food as as it's being prepared. And I totally agree with that. I think you put a meal down, but you put no pressure whatsoever on them eating it. So you say, well, this is our dinner tonight. You know they're going to have a conniption fit. And so if it's dinner and it's spaghetti bolognese, then don't try and do bribery and corruption. Just put it down. If he sits, engages, but does not engage in the food, that's fine. If you're going to have fruit after that, then you put the fruit down. If they engage, you don't. 
That is absolutely true, and that is how they learn to eat. And it's a it's a really big part of that book called uh, French Children Don't Throw Food. Yes. And it's because they all sit down together, they eat what's on there, and no one runs around and prepares a different meal. And I think, Kathy, if I can say that's what I did wrong, is that we always tried to encourage my daughter to eat broccoli, to eat yeah. other things, whereas her brother... You Bless him, second second child. child. He, he eats really well yeah. and, because we've never put any pressure yeah. on him to eat anything. That's right. And and a, a little bit of variety helps. Um, and the other thing that does help is taking them out socially. So, you know, if you want him to engage in Italian food, take him out for dinner. With his mates. Yeah, even with it. Have a pizza party but in an Italian restaurant. Yeah. And you think you might find that they'll engage. But I think every person struggles at some point with some child around this topic. Oh, totally. It so, drove me nuts. As long as you don't play games and give him that security food all the time, you'll find that he will start engaging in other foods and make it the family what you're eating because you don't want to be preparing one meal for him and another meal for everybody else. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> Short order cook, I call it. You're listening to Kindling Helpline with Mothercraft Nurse Chris Minogue. These are um, questions we didn't get to last week. When this is being recorded, Chris is going to be having a lovely holiday somewhere. <laughs> She's dreaming about it now. Um, this is a question that comes from Beck. How do I get my five-year-old daughter to eat fruit? I think this is very similar to the answer for Kathy. Mm-hmm. I think what this is is just engaging her in that fruit. Um, so putting um, chopping it up really small helps. So it's not like one big orange and she thinks she has to eat the orange. So slices of orange, cutting them even in half, um, and that's putting it on a platter. And again, not substituting it. Um, I think that most children only eat one or two f- fruits but they'll go through different stages where they'll change those fruits. So it could be apples and grapes, and then as summer comes on, it could be watermelon, watermelon, and more watermelon. (laughs) Um, But I think what you have to do is chop it up really small, um, put it on a plate, and everybody engage in it. And I think you've got your best shot at trying to get her to eat some fruit. Actually, that's what happened recently when my daughter started eating veggies. It was because my husband got out one of those, I guess they were like those entertaining platters from the 70s. Oh, yeah, yeah, with all the little holes on it. Yeah, Yeah. little platters. And he put lots of different Different types of food, all finger food, and they all sat down and ate it together like that. And they ate much more. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same as babies will drink more water if you give it to them in a cup. Because they can, they you know can take bigger mouthfuls of it, and when it's tiny, they'll put more in, so they get more engaged with the food. That's so, interesting. Yeah, go and invest in a seventies uh, <laughs> serving dish, Beck. It might work. It was a dip dish, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And they had the middle bit was for the dip, dip. and then yeah. yeah. Anyway, that might work for you. Uh, this is a question from Nari. My almost eighteen month old son has started speaking a few weeks ago. He recently learned ouch, and he now keeps throwing things and banging his head saying, ouch, we try not to pay attention, but he keeps doing it. What else can we do? I think this one's an avoidance one again. So if you see him, so he's learnt that when he says ouch, he gets a reaction from someone because he's obviously hurt himself and now he's using that to get attention. So giving him lots of other positive attention will help. But if he looks like he's going to bang his head against a wall, I'd literally just walk up to him and distract him with a book or something. And I think that's the only way he's getting out of learning this. He's 18 months old, so I think it's more reactive behaviour. He learnt that he got attention, so he's going to repeat it. So other distractive behaviours, keeping him busy, and soon that um, behaviour will disappear.
Okay. We have a question from Amanda. My three-year-old won't stay in his bed at all. He keeps coming into our bed. Um, He also has a nightlight. I guess that's to comfort him and hope that he'll stay in bed with that. Yeah. The problem with the nightlight, it actually shows him the way to your room. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever thought of that? Uh, Three-year-old staying in his bed, the first thing I'd probably do is put a gate on his door so you know he's in a safe space. It also means that he has to call out to you. Um, so this is the first thing I'd try. So when I get up to him, I'd go to the door and I'd say, you need to get back in your bed before I come in the room. So that'll give him an idea to get how to get back on his bed. Um, and then go in, tuck him in, give him a cuddle and all of those comforting things to help him stay in the bed. Second thing is he might be having too much sleep in the day. So he's got the ability to get up and move around a lot at night. Um, so look at that structure between what he might be doing in the day in relation to his ability to wake up at night. And the third one is if he does make it in the room, if you don't want to use a gate and he makes it into your room, um, I would have a little pillow and a blanket on the floor and that's as far as he's going. So you can let him in and you say, yeah, but you have to go down there on that pillow and, and there's your blanket. And it's usually uncomfortable. So soon they stay in their own bed. So <laughs> there's a few ideas. It's very frustrating. Um, and it's more about him knowing he can get out of his bed. So I would try the gate and making him actually physically get on the bed before you come in to give him some comfort. All right, Amanda, I hope that goes well for you. This question comes from Danny. My three-year-old daughter constantly says no to everything. No amount of reasoning or distraction will sway her. Any advice in turning her around? It's full on, especially when we're out in public. Oh, this could do a whole book on three-year-olds. I think you could. (laughs) So this one is a little bit about um, we actually say no to them an awful lot. So what they're doing is mimicking the no back to us. So we've got to use other language other than the no. But to be fair to a three-year-old, if you take them to a um, you know, sh- shopping centre and they go past the toy shop, there's little chance you're going to get away with getting them out or past that toy shop. So one, set the boundaries before you go. We're going to the fruit shop, we're getting the fruit and we're coming home again. Um, and then if she has complete you know, meltdown and hissy fit, then you have to deal with that. But like we were talking about before and previously on the show, is later that night you have to correct their behaviour. When everybody is calm and quiet, you need to go back and say, you know, it's unacceptable for you to throw yourself on the floor or throw things if you're in a tantrum. Um, Tell them how it makes you feel. And then if it's a particularly bad week then maybe a gentle consequence for the behavior is worth it like saying so there's no ipad or you know there's no going to the park this weekend something that they can remember and reflect but it depends on how old that three-year-old is whether they're closer to four or closer Mm. to two so obviously if they're closer to for, for their probably better it, reasoning yeah, ability. Yeah, more reasoning. Um, for and a three-year-old. <laughs> closer to two, less reasoning power. And that's more about the actual physical part. Like you have to you have to get into their headspace. You know, if you take them to a supermarket at 4.30, there will be a tantrum. 
Yeah, worst time ever, yeah. isn't it? You may as well give in and give in to what they're Especially doing because now you put time. them in that situation. Mm. And and after daycare, they are unreasonable. So if they want to watch in the night garden six times, I sort of get that if you've been busy all day. Not that I think they should watch in the night garden six times, but <laughs> I think we have to be reasonable. If they've had a big, long day, they're not going to be able to navigate through things as easily as we do. And we have to be kind to each other. That is really good advice. We <laughs> can take that on board. You are listening to Kindling Helpline with Mothercraft Nurse Chris Minogue. These questions that you're hearing today were ones we didn't quite get to last week. Um, so you, unfortunately, you can't call up. But I will say that if over the Christmas break you want to hear Chris's advice again, you can find all of our Kindling Helplines either up online at kindling.com.au on our app, which is free, and you can get lots of great stuff on that app as well, including mixtapes of different types of music that your kids will love. And, of course, you can subscribe to our podcast and you can hear things. And I, I think I'll find there's lots of questions, Chris, that you answer that a lot of people have the same question yeah. in their heads. They haven't got around to asking it. So you That's may right. find a solution. Um, this one comes from John. John says, my five-year-old is suddenly scared of things he wasn't before. He doesn't like going to the toilet himself or his bedroom or places like the laundry without one of us. We've tried all sorts of reasoning, but it makes him quite anxious. What can we do to ease his fears? I uh, want to know the answer to this too, John, because my daughter does this. I, you have to work out whether um, they truly are scared. So I think the first thing when a child says they're scared of something is not to... Um, what I call dumb it out. So say, oh, no, of course you're not scared of that. What could you be scared of in there? So to them, it's a real fear. So what we have to do is help them through it. So if he's scared of his bedroom, sometimes what I would say to them is, would you like me to go down and put the light on? And if you can put the light on and then they can go into the room. Now, you might have to do that for a little while, but they're gaining their own confidence going to the toilet. I think they're probably dark environments he has to walk into. Um, just taking it from a bedroom, a laundry and a bathroom. So if you if it's getting dark at night, then maybe you go and turn the light on in the bathroom and in his bedroom to help him navigate that. The other one is to try and get an understanding of where his fear is coming from. So sitting in his room, turn the light on, sitting in his room and saying, what is it about the room that worries you? Not actually what in the room scares you, but what in the room worries you? And he might say something like the witch in the wardrobe. So guess which book they've been reading. <laughs> so sometimes you have to do that thing, open the cupboard. Oh, look, there's nothing in here. It's all good. It could be something flapping outside that's making a noise that's worrying him or, or you know, getting him a little bit anxious. So the, I think the first thing you have to learn here is not to dismiss their feelings. And it's easy for us to do that when they say they're scared of something. It, not to dismiss it. Try and work out where it's coming from, what worry it is, and then try and ease them through that activity. Because there's nothing worse than being, I used to be scared of the dark. And I think there's nothing worse than people telling you that you're not scared of the dark. And you are. And you are. So I'm gonna take ask, a little bit of time and it should work. Okay, okay, I'm going to ask a question further to this because, John, I do have the same problem with my daughter. Yeah. When I've asked her, when I said, why can't, you know, she, yeah. she goes, like obviously not when we're out in public, we'll go yeah. to the toilet with her, but we've got a pretty small place. It's not yeah, that yeah. unfamiliar. We have the light on in the bathroom all the time. Yeah. I've asked her why she doesn't want to do it and she says she doesn't want to be alone. Yes. So I think that's part of shutting the door because okay. when you go into a bathroom, you shut the door, into a toilet, mm. you shut the door. 
So that's that's might be small confined spaces. So don't just leave the door open. So just leave the door open if it's just you and her and, you know, or just the four of you at home, I'd leave the door open. Mm-hmm. And just say, oh, just leave the door open. Don't worry about it. Yep. So you're trying not to dumb it down, but you're trying to get an avenue. It could be, you know, it's her first year of school and all those doors at the they're new school. They're completely shut, yeah. So they're all shut. So it could be something that's, to you and I, is very easy, but to them seems like such a big... You remember how you felt really little in those really big toilets? Yeah. So I sort of get it. And, and so... To me, why not leave it open? Mm. You know, if it's just and and but talk to her. You know, out in public, we will need to shut the door, but Mummy can stand on the other side, or you know, Daddy's only here. I think they do need reassurance. They've got busy worlds and they've got busy lives, and maybe it is a little scary for them. Mm. Okay, well, our last question comes from Daisy. She says, sometimes my 15-month-old is so determined to read that book or play with that toy that it's easier to give up and just let him and just get him the toy than to say no and deal with the consequences. Do you have any ideas? I wonder if this is at home or out. Mm. So if it's at home, I'd just let him read the book for five minutes and then put him to bed or play with the toy and clean everything else up around him. He is only 15 months, so he hasn't got a lot of language for a start. So he hasn't got a lot of language. He's a little bit self-centred, you know. They think they're they're the only people in the world and that their world is the only world that exists. So they need lots of time and patience. Um, But if it's out, I'd just bodily pick him up and take him out of the shop. So I, you know, just go up and this is a tricky age because they're sort of in a pram and they sort of can walk a little bit. So you have to choose your evils. If you let him walk around a shopping centre, there's a fair chance you'll be buying something in every shop. (laughs) So pick your your moment. um, (laughs) And if you need to get things done in a shopping centre, don't let him out of the pram. All right, Daisy. Well, good luck with that. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. That was Chris Minogue, our Mothercraft nurse. Next week, she is going to be talking about flights with children. Lots of great advice in that one. If you are planning a trip overseas this Christmas holidays, make sure you tune in for that. If you'd like to listen back to any of the questions you heard asked today, you can find them in many different places. You can find them online at kindling.com.au via our podcast, wherever you get your podcasts or for free on our app. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.